This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello hikers, this is Bird Shooter, and tonight at Into Backpacking we have episode number 45. Brian Snyder joins us for the show this evening, uh, having just returned from Burning Man in the Nevada desert. But the uh, main topic of discussion is his latest book, Off the Map, 54 Explorations in the Wildest Reaches of the American West. On the podcast, we'll talk about Brian's 20 plus summers of traveling throughout North America, in his Jeep Cherokee, which currently has over 350,000 miles on it. Uh, in addition to suggesting some great hiking and backpacking adventures, uh, Brian's going to tell us how you can travel on the cheap, finding inexpensive or even free campsites and lodging while on the road. I want to give a quick shout out to the Teton Hammock Company, who has helped support the show tonight. Uh, you can learn more about their hammocks at tetonhammocks.com. That said, here's Off the Map, episode number 45. All right, this is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Brian Snyder to the show. He is an avid educator, traveler, hiker, backpacker, climber, car camper, and all-around adventurer. And he is joining us tonight from Santa Barbara, California. Brian just recently finished his third book, Falling Off the Map and is here to tell us more about his travels throughout North America and how to do it on the cheap. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So first off, I got to ask you, because I think you told me this in, uh, in one of your, uh, your texts to me, you just got back from Burning Man. Is that what I understand? I did. Yeah. Just a couple of days ago. Awesome. And I take it that is not your first time there. This one's uh, time number seven. Mm. Yeah. What, what keeps bringing you back? Tell us about the experience. It, what brings me back is just seeing the creations that people bring to the playa. Like people invest so much of their, their time and ingenuity and talents to create these amazing sculptures out there, these uh, tremendous art cars, which uh, are just crazy contraptions unto, the, unto themselves, and also just these interactive experiences out there. Uh, there, the, one of the great things I saw was somebody built a speakeasy just way out in the middle of the desert. And in order to get inside, you know, usually speakeasy, you've got to have a password. You know, there's the door and there's a the little slit in the door where you, the guard like asks, what's the password? And so to find this password, you had to break one code. And then with that code, you had to go around the sides of these buildings and answer like eight different riddles and, and combine letters from those riddles to get the password to go inside. And once you went inside, it wasn't just that wasn't that wasn't just it. You know, they weren't uh, it was genuine speakeasy. And they were also trying to hide the fact that we were serving alcohol. So a guy would come up and uh, ask what your your basic like your psychological problems were. And they'd write you a prescription on a piece of paper. Nice. Uh, and you take your prescription to the uh, pharmacy, which was the actual bar. And uh, they you give their prescription and they would push a button and you'd put a you'd put your mug in this special box, like this hidden box there. 
and they'd push a button and your drink would actually pour into this box. You wouldn't actually see it happen. And you'd open the door and you'd take your drink. And uh, then you would also enjoy the bag of popcorn that they gave you. And you'd be able to chill out in the speakeasy until they told you the cops were coming. And then you had to, you were kicked out and they would uh, um, shove you out this little flap door on the side of the wall. And you just would pop back out in the desert. That's awesome. And so has, yeah. has Burning Man turned into a, a basically a money-making venture? Or is it, um, is it still pretty much, is that sort of still taboo? Because that was kind of, the, in the beginning, that really wasn't the point of it, right? Uh, definitely not. And it's the Burning Man is a corporation, and they have to be. You know, they're a corporation partially just because the insurance and dealing with the uh, um, the government agencies it helps be a corporation. But I, I I can't imagine it's any kind of money money maker. And people, a lot of people go there to volunteer and be rangers and basically assist people in. Um, their exploits and adventures out there. Um, it takes place in the Black Rock Desert, which is the northwest part of Nevada, and it's this flat expanse of clay called the Playa. And in wintertime, if there's rainstorms, it just floods. It becomes like a, a small, shallow lake. But then it dries and evaporates. It becomes this, this super flat surface surrounded by mountains. And that makes it a, just a great place to bike around, a great place to, to drive around because there's, there's no elevation changes whatsoever. And it's a perfect, uh, uh, I guess, ground for people bringing their art, bringing their sculptures. And there's so much to say about Burning Man. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you can't really capture it in a, in a short uh, podcast, I guess. But it, it, yeah. it, it basically ends with a big burning, burning man, right? A big wooden effigy, I guess. Uh, you could explain it better than me, so let me let you do that. Sure. I mean, there's lots of sculptures that do burn over the course of the week, but the, the key one is on Saturday night. Uh, the gates open, and about six days later on Saturday night, they, uh, they burn the man. So the man is a big, giant effigy. It could be 40, 50 feet tall. And, uh, and when it's burned, people will circle their art cars in this big circle around it, and there'll be fire spinners uh, performing in front of you. And then once the time comes, you know, the the man is burned and sometimes it's so hot and it's so intense that it generates its own like heat cyclones. There's these dust devils made out of smoke and fire that just get generated inside of this uh, conflagration and they just kind of travel out until they hit the crowd and, and break apart. Wow. That's and that's awesome. con- Yeah, and, and you contrast that with the burn on Sunday nights, which is when they burn the temple. So every year there's a man burn, there's also a temple burn. So also out in the middle of the desert, um, there is some grant money given to some uh, uh, architects to build a temple where people during the week will bring um, mementos of loved ones or people that they've, they've passed on during the year or experiences they just need to like let go of. And so they'll bring these mementos, they'll like put them in the, in the temple or they'll write on the walls of the temple. And so when that burns on Sunday night, you'll get 40,000 people again in all their art vehicles like surrounding the temple, but everybody shuts their music off and everybody shuts up. It's, That's awesome. It's crazy that you get that many people that are um, that are there for this burn and maybe that some people just showed up a day or two prior and these people could be on, who knows what kind of substances they could possibly be on, but to get that many people to appreciate, you know, 
that this the moment there of the temple burn is a moment for people to be able to let go. It's a it's a very intense um, it can, can be a very intense experience, and um, for all those people to be on the same page about respecting that moment is incredible. Yeah, and how many people are we talking? Because this is a mega, it's like a city, basically, right? Yes, it becomes uh, Nevada's, you know, like fourth or fifth biggest city for for a week. So uh, by Saturday night, you've got 70,000 people there. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yes, so you've got whole layout, you've got all these city streets, and you could spend your entire week just biking the streets and coming across different camps and and we mentioned money before, so you're not allowed to to sell or buy anything on the on the whole, in the entire city, except at Center Camp you can buy some tea or coffee, and you can also buy ice there. So that's all you can buy and sell. And the rest of Burning Man, it's not really about a, a bartering economy; it's more about a gifting economy. So people you try, you know, we try to, people try to be encouraged to bring something, some kind of gift they can give out to people. Uh, and that could be the form of like your gift is you're creating a a theme camp that has you know bars and it has it gives out tons of alcohol, or it could be that you are a massage therapist and you give free massages to people or foot rubs, or you're providing chapstick for people or giving cold drinks or cold beers, just biking around with a cooler and just giving free drinks to people out in the playa, or just spritzing people or providing music. So the way that the whole city thrives and the way the whole place stays vibrant and the way it kind of feels like a community is people are trying to be generous and trying to to give. And you can um, it's great to just to be able to embrace that and not feel like you have to immediately reciprocate. You just sort of like take in when you can. And then when you're in your space of gifting, then you can give out, give things out to the the people um, that need them. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, you, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are long-distance hikers, and they've certainly experienced that uh, uh, that sort of um, give-and-take sort of lifestyle, I think, on the trail. So this is perfect. It's a great way to lead into um, some of the other things we're going to talk about. But w- one thing that immediately came to mind, Brian, was the fact that, you know, you spend, and we're going to talk about this in your book, but you spend – a lot of your summers traveling, and I, I know you have people with you at times, but a lot of times you are solo. Is it is it a challenge for you to go from an environment where you spent all this time alone in the, in the wilderness, and then boom, you're with seventy thousand people? I mean, it seems like you can adapt pretty well between the two lifestyles. <laughs> I, I think I do. I think I do okay, but I can always like I go with. Uh, my own kind of theme camp. So there's about 25 of us that go, and we we build a small place on the edge of the uh, of the open playa, and it's a um, a space people can kind of can go and hang out. But our ma- our main thing that we bring is this art vehicle called the Pyro Bar. So we have a vehicle that actually, actually drives to Nevada, and once it gets there, it transforms. Like these awnings come up, and the bar stools get pulled out, and a crane comes up, and the swing gets attached to the crane, and fire cannons get attached to it, and it's a beautiful, beautifully decorated uh, sculpture. It has kind of like a, a Middle Eastern or um, or Pakistani kind of feel to it, and so that's our contribution. We sort of drive around and we pick up passengers and uh, give them drinks and then let them hop off someplace else. 
so I do help out with that camp and help out with the build, but then I can always hop on my own bike and just travel and get my own solo time out there, which, which I do in order to have a good balance. I, I definitely like to take off and travel and adventure on my own out there. Well, I read that a lot in your books, and actually this is a perfect transition into, uh, into, into talking about your, your most recent book, which is, if I have this correct, Falling Off the Map, 54 Explorations into the Wildest Reaches of the American West. So for, for this book and some of your other books, you actually spend a lot of time traveling solo. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, pretty much, I guess, maybe... 98% of the uh, the chapters are just just me solo out there and that's that's because I well I I just have a <laughs> a character that likes that likes solo time and also there's a lot of freedom in traveling alone you don't have to always be looking at, out for somebody's uh, safety and you can take more risks when it's when it's just you out there well and I and I noticed in your books there were times when you know somebody would hook up with you for periods of time but for the most part um, and, and you can maybe describe a little more about your uh, your teaching lifestyle, but you know most people are probably not in a situation to get their summers off like you are. So um, it's probably not easy to find people that year after year could travel with you, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true as well. Yeah. Um, but so t- tell us a little bit about your your teaching lifestyle because I know you're a, a natural science teacher and you work with. Um, uh, various groups. It sounds like you 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 don't just work with one specific group. Can you can you explain to the listeners how you've been able to take? And is it, am I correct in saying you've done twenty or twenty one summers in a row on the road? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Although my summers of travel are getting steadily shorter and shorter, and that's because. Uh, getting older, I'm trying to be able to maintain a healthy relationship with my significant other. Ah, <laughs> okay. Didn't know that was in the picture. Gotcha. Yes, and so we make compromises in order to, uh, to in order to keep happy the people that we love, in order to, you know, you know, as you get older in life, that those experiences of relationships become more and more fulfilling to you, and uh, they don't entirely take the place of of mountains and, and rivers and. And, uh, and grizzly bears, but uh, they certainly uh, have kept me a little closer to home. And so this latest book, which kind of details um, adventures over the last four summers, there are a few more chapters in that book that take place a little take take place a little bit closer to home, as I've tried to stay around the area of Santa Barbara, California, a little bit more before kind of going further afield. Yeah, so I got to ask your your significant other. Is it someone that you met on the road, or is it someone that you met locally or through work, or um, not in your travels? Uh, someone I met locally. Um, I all the kind of all the women in these three books. I, I give them sort of code names. Uh, so this I refer to my girlfriend as Kitty, huh. but but she is wonderful. We've been together for six years, and she's she herself is featured in the book uh, twice because. Or maybe a couple of times, she's a horse endurance racer, and so she has a horse named Merlin. And the last two summers, we've gone over to Lake Tahoe because there's a hundred mile horse endurance race called the Tevis Cup, and so the horses try to race a uh, hundred miles in 24 hours. And there are ten veterinary checks, and if the horse's pulse rate isn't <laughs> doesn't reach a certain threshold, the horses are um, eliminated or disqualified ah. so they, they, they're very careful about the health of the horse and uh, only about 50% of the horse riders actually make it through 
those races. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so my girlfriend is, she loves the outdoors. Uh, I'm not so much of a horse person myself, <laughs> but uh, we actually met here in Santa Barbara when we were in a play together. And I was playing the role of a evil German, evil German supervillain named Dr. Bonk. And she was my hench kitty. She actually played an a anthropomorphic cat in this play. Interesting. Yes. I, th- I think I saw some of these pictures on your, um, your Facebook page, actually, including the, <laughs> including the horse race. So now, now it's all making sense to me. Oh, good. Yes, perfect. So, um, so, so it sounds like your significant other has traveled with you over the summer. Um, it, what is a standard trip for you now, and what was sort of a standard trip for you um, previously in terms of length of time that you'd be on the road? Well, in my first book, I could be out on the road for about 18 weeks or so. Uh, I worked uh, at an outdoor school program here in, in Santa Barbara, which, uh, or just outside Santa Barbara, which uh, gave me very long summers. And as the program became a little bit more successful, they started booking schools like earlier in the fall and like later in the summer. So my summers gradually got a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter, which is okay. I've just been very lucky to have this career of being a naturalist or environmental educator, which means I can kind of work the school year. And even though I have a a working job, I'm working outdoors. I'm taking kids hiking. Usually it's uh, sixth graders. And I'm teaching them like geology and astronomy and botany and like team building skills and uh, wilderness survival skills, uh, things like that. So it's a career I'm very grateful to have stumbled upon. It doesn't pay very much, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, fortunately, California does t- tend to pay the best of any any of the fifty states in this particular career. So I've I try to save up during the school year, and that lets me uh, um, travel for the summer as long as I as long as I you know travel on the cheap and always cook for myself and uh, never pay for camping. Then I'm usually able to take off uh, quite a few months. And you've got some great, great strategies that we're going to talk about um, during the show on just how to, how to, because I mean, I think there's a misperception that you need, you need money to travel for two, three months at a time. And you do need money. But I mean, as you write about, you don't really necessarily need a lot of money, right? So um, I'm looking forward to digging into that with you. Um, hey, before we get there, though, did I read in, in terms of your students, or, or maybe maybe it's just the naturalist? You guys have trail names, like through hikers have trail names. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we do. Uh, it's funny and, uh, at Burning Man, people also have what they call playa names out there. But in my career as a naturalist, uh, a lot of these camps—not all of them, but a lot of them—we uh, had taken on nature names. We call them. And so my nature name when I. Uh, and when I'm working uh, with school groups, I go by Rain. So, uh, like, I have friends that are named Blue Jay and Kestrel and Coyote. Um, but, yeah, my I get, I get called the name Rain. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. Well, you fit right in with the thru-hiker crowd there, so that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk a little bit more about your book and specifically just about your travels. I've done a couple... Um, uh, all summer long road trips. It was when I was younger, before, of course, I was married, and yeah. uh, spent you know three months just exploring the the country, putting seventeen thousand miles on my car in a single summer. You know, um, nice. am I right though? You've spent about twenty summers on the road. Is that correct? Twenty one? Are you in there somewhere? <laughs> Let's see. Hold on, my, hold on, my. Yeah, um, I'd say yeah, about that number. For sure. Gotcha. 
That's uh, that's impressive. Definitely. What what was your? Um, is there a certain trip, like a certain year, that really stands out more than others? And can you tell us why? Ooh, um, I, one year, <laughs> one year I went up to the, uh, the the Pacific Northwest, so I got to see the North Cascades, and I went to visit a friend up in British Columbia, and it was it was great to see that part of the country, to see the. Um, the uh, the Cascade Range because parts of it look like what I picture the Alps in Switzerland to look like. There's a certain type of topography where the the mountains just appear kind of almost like whipped, like they were whipped cream that got like someone's fingers just smeared through them and created all these like really sharp fins and and angles. Uh, so that's a beautiful location. But once I was up in Canada, uh, I got. Um, word got to me that a friend of the family had this ticket to go to Africa and go on this two-week photographic safari. But the guy, unfortunately, about a month before the trip, he he fell off. He was trying to repair a gazebo, and he fell off the ladder and fractured a vertebrae. And he was okay, but he couldn't handle like the type of bouncy jeep rides he was probably going to be get over in Africa. And for some reason, none of his family could go, and word just sort of spread and trickled out until it reached me up in Canada, and I was offered this trip. Wow! And, uh, and it was a really, it was a real maneuver to get like my um, <laughs> yellow fever shots and to get like uh, the paperwork done in t- just in time to be able to go out there. But yeah, I was able to do this two-week photographic safari in Africa, it was surrounded by it was it was for it was for like pro- professional photographers. So I was surrounded by people that didn't mind like staying in one spot like for four or five hours just to get the right perfect shot of like a leopard up in a tree. And uh, it was a ma- an amazing trip. Um, and it was a very distinctive summer because one, in Africa I really got to see kind of two different sides of um, of the Kenyan experience. It was in Kenya where I was. And throughout the you know, I didn't have money necessarily to to buy a hotel room once I got there, so I, I stayed with a couch surfer. Oh and yeah, couch yeah. I read about that. I love that part of your book. If you want to go into that quickly, sure. Yeah, yeah uh, couch surfing. I'd never heard of it until I read it in your book. Yeah, it's a great organization. There's a website called couchsurfing.org, and people, you know, probably about four or five million people across the world have signed up for this website. And you can like plug in, um, you know, what city you're going to. Scroll through a bunch of names, and you can ask these people. Like everybody has a profile, like like you would have in Facebook. And you look at their profile, and you kind of send them a message saying, like, "Hey, I'm going to be in town on this day. Could I crash on your couch?" And a lot of these people, they have, yeah, they might have couches, they might have a a space in the back their backyard to pitch a tent, or they could have a spare room like in their house. And so they look at your profile. And look at your references, and they say either yes or no, and 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 you deal with it. So you get so once you stay with somebody, you get actually uh, rated as, as far as how what kind of guest you were, and you can also rate your host. So uh, it's there's that kind of just like on eBay, there's sort of like that feedback system which helps um, prevent people from take, being taken advantage of. Yeah, the, the old checks and balances system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I noticed that when you travel, too, you do a lot of different activities. I mean, it's not like you just hike or you just climb or backpack or rock climb or four-wheel. Um, of all the activities, what what's sort of your go-to 
activity when you're um, traveling? Uh, I'd say definitely heading just to mountaintops. I'm I'm drawn like crazy to like the best views that are out there, and so uh, and so yeah, I am I, a peak bag a peak bagger in a sense, but it's it's mostly just to get the experience of looking across just grand vistas and the top of like peaks in the Rockies or the Sierras. Yeah, no, I can definitely appreciate that. Have you have you been, you've probably been to all fifty states? I gotta believe, right? Uh, maybe just. There's one or two in the in the uh, in the southern Appalachians, um, maybe Arkansas or Tennessee that I haven't quite made it to yet. Although I this a uh, couple uh, months ago I managed to get to North Carolina for a, a short while, and it's the western side of there, I was amazed at how many waterfalls there yeah. are in that part of the state. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, we I go there frequently, and it, it is. It, it's very wet too. People don't realize how much rain they get in some of the areas in the Western Carolinas. But yeah. um, but you you live in the West and you probably do most of your traveling in the West. Is that correct? I do. Yes. Do you have a favorite state that you've uh, that you go back to time and time again? I love when I can get to Colorado because uh, you know Colorado has about fifty four peaks that are above fourteen thousand feet, and so it's nice to head there and just you know every summer kind of pick off a couple of those. They make for good destinations, but also it's just there's something about um, something about like the peaks there. They are they can't be a little ferocious and a little terrifying, but mostly there's a, kind of a, a certain warmth to the land, and it probably is because of the the reddish color of the rock. You know, a lot of the rock is infused with um, either sulfur or iron, so you can get some great rusty tones to the mountains, and those just uh, you know, they just make the whole area feel just more, uh, more welcoming. Yeah, and 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 so I'm sure you've done a bunch of 14ers. How, how far along are you in the uh, in the in in the process? Are you 25 percent, 50, 75 percent? probably about 75, a little, wow. a little higher. I think I have maybe 10 more to go. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, this is you're going to get it done then if you've only got 10 left, huh? <laughs> Yep, I'm in no, I'm in no, no huge hurry, but uh, so I'll like I won't. I don't think I'll go and knock them all off in one summer, but uh, a few here, a few there, and makes yeah. me happy. Good for you, man. So, what about Canada? Because I know you do. I, I read in some of your books you've obviously explored some of the Canadian provinces. Is there? Do you have a favorite favorite province in Canada? Oh, I will. I would love to go towards Banff and hit that area a, a little more. I've just kind of barely touched upon a few hikes in Banff and I think Yolo National Park uh, is in that area. Um, so my main experiences probably are going to be British Columbia. Um, I've uh, done a few hikes over there and gone on to a few hot springs. There's uh, some great, amazing hot springs that are also in that part of the country. Yeah, I've got a whole section for you on questions on hot springs because <laughs> I, I can tell that you definitely uh, you had an affinity to uh, to hot springs. You, I, I, you write about them frequently, and they they do seem to add uh, an element of adventure to, especially with the backcountry ones, right? Yeah, um, they, uh, it's it's such a it's a fusion of just energy, both you know, I guess physical and spiritual, when you can kind of like dip into one of those guys, especially at nighttime when you got the stars above you and you're soaking in a nice hot tub that you know you didn't you didn't pay anybody for, you just like had to drive to it and or hike out to it. 
Yeah, which tees me up perfectly for the next thing I wanted to ask you, and that is meeting people, because I'm sure hot tubs are a great place to do it in the backcountry. But but you also travel alone a lot. So I guess the question is, um, well, l- let's talk about music for a second, because I understand you play music. Is is that is that probably the easiest way to meet people when you're traveling? Uh, yeah, it can be. I, maybe couch surfing with people is a is an easier way. Uh, with with music, I if I'm like if I have the itch to play music for people and meet other musicians, I will try to look up open mic nights um, in bars or coffee houses that take are in the towns I'm kind of passing through. And so it's great to meet people over there because you have you have a topic of conversation and what what i do is i don't bring my guitar with me i have a, a tin whistle uh which is very portable and uh through it i can do a lot of abnormal sounds like I'll, when i play the tin whistle i also will if you, if you can think of people playing jazz flute you know i i do those sort of effects where you've got uh like overblowing you've got like singing at the same time as you're playing music you've got like the the sort of beatboxing you know you got like extra beatboxing sounds you can throw in there and i just do improvisational stuff usually when i'm up there playing so you can meet people you can uh sometimes like mention like hey and by the way i'm looking for a place to crash you know yeah uh-huh. I, I gotta be honest i have never heard of a tin whistle i'm still trying to kind of imagine what it looks like but um, Just think of a penny whistle, but about like fifty uh, percent bigger. Ah, uh, interesting. What yeah. What was your? Uh, do you have like a a gig that you did somewhere that stands out more than any other in your travels? Well, there was once this one night in Montana. Um, I was uh, actually couch surfing with somebody in the town of Butte, Montana. It's a it's a town where they've. <laughs> it's like it's got the biggest like super fun site probably in the country. Uh, there's a giant open pit that's filled with water, um, and this this they used to do like uh, mining below the surface. So the the whole city is just riddled with with the mines that go thousands of feet below below the city. But eventually, you know, things transition to open like open pit mining, and so right next to the city, this sort of pit was dug and it got bigger and bigger, and soon uh, whole neighborhoods were bought out and the pit grew to to like. <laughs> to uh, take the space of those neighborhoods. And the thing is giant, and there is toxic water that leaches out of the rock now and fills up that lake, so they have to scare off any birds, because any bird that lands there is going to get their legs dissolved by the, uh, like the, <laughs> the pH level that exists in that crazy lake. Um, so uh, I was couch surfing with this woman, and I'll, I'll call her, uh, I think her Snowbird. Snowbird is what. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that from the book, actually, the name you used. Yeah, this is from, I think, the first book. Um, we had some nice, like, urban adventures there, because um, Buttes, the, like, the, most of the mines shut down, so the major source of employment kind of left, and so there's a lot of, like, old buildings that are kind of falling apart there, and and uh, not a lot of uh, police to enforce people who would like to explore these buildings. So ah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so there's crumbling buildings and like old rusty uh, like uh, fire escapes that connect these buildings or go up the sides of them. So Star uh, Snowbird took me on a nice tour of these uh, of these uh, rooftops of Butte, Montana, 
And it's a little sketchy because you know, you're climbing up these fire escapes and you can actually feel them like pulling away from the brick wall as you're like climbing up them and you're wondering like, okay, is this entire thing going to – or is the entire wall going to come off the side of the building and fall on you? But um, during our explorations, we actually tried to check out an open mic night and it turns out it didn't actually exist. But we, when we went to this bar, um, they said, all right, hang on a second. And uh, – they just called some guy up, and they, uh, this guy kind of like set up some mics for us and got on the piano, and we just started playing music. And, uh, and uh, they, <laughs> instead of opening up mic night, it just became this sort of this, this jam. And somebody started passing around a hat to uh, the people at the bar, and unexpectedly actually made a, a, a decent amount of money and got a few drinks out of it. That's awesome. So that's, that's fun. You're, you're giving me flashbacks to some urban adventures I had in, in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire during my thru-hike but in, oh, yeah. when, in the middle of the summer session for uh, college when there weren't a lot of people around on campus. But, uh, yeah. You tell. It, some, well, it's, it's a long story. But you're bringing back good memories. But you're right. That, that definitely adds to uh, the adventures on the road. Yeah. Which tees me up for another question, Brian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of times you are not with other people. So how do you deal with loneliness when you're traveling? Because it, it must get to you at times, right? Uh, there is something to be said about when you're in, like, on the side of a mountain and the sun sets. It's just utterly beautiful moments. And you wish, maybe, you might wish for somebody to be there with you and see it all. But I don't know. I, I have a ab, kind of an abnormal character where I'm, I'm great for very long periods of time where it's, it's just me. I, I, I do appreciate that time. Um, because, uh, I don't know, I guess it's kind of corny to say, but, uh, I, without the distractions of other humans, it is definitely easier to, um, to see your space, your role in the the larger natural community. And so, you know, it's easier to feel like, Hey, I, maybe I can, I can fit in here without too much disturbance. So you do hope, you know, on the good days you do feel better connected to the mountains and to the plants and, and to the animals. And, um, it's kind of nice being, um, a less intrusive presence. Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely, when you're by yourself, it opens up your eyes and it definitely opens up your senses. So I, I certainly appreciate what you're saying there. Um, but technically you weren't alone. You want to talk about Charlie for a minute? <laughs> yeah. So Charlie is my main companion, this guy, Charlie. He, well, okay, he is my, my Jeep. He's a, he's a Jeep Cherokee from 1995. I've had him his entire life, and so we've racked up 380,000 miles so far. Wow. Yeah, he is, he's been a beast. He's a, he has four-wheel drive, um, and we've been able to get in and out of many situations where <laughs> um, – and, and – Many situations where we thought it would be really hard to roll on those tires and, and escape from. You you want to talk about the most dangerous thing that you ever got into with uh, with your Jeep, Charlie? Oh well, I mean, Charlie does have one flaw in which <laughs> it's uh, his flaw is like that the engine is a great engine. I've never had to touch or really replace the engine, but the engine mounts, these bolts that hold the engine in place. They, for some reason, the vibrations tend to shear off those bolts. So this has happened three times when you're in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly the the engine uh, shudders and the bolts shear off on one side, and the whole engine tilts like about thirty degrees. 
And when that happens, your gear stick also tilts. Like your first gear goes where third gear was, and then your third gear goes where fifth gear was, and your fifth gear in reverse completely disappear. You don't have access to them anymore. And then you have to figure out how to get out of where you are without a reverse <laughs> reverse gear. Um, yeah, and I remember so, you, you tell that story in the book. I think I remember specifically when that happened to you. I mean, is that, with the, is that among your worst breakdowns or your worst maintenance issues when you've been traveling? I'd say pretty much. Otherwise, I've been very lucky There were breakdowns have happened um, in, <laughs> uh, just coincidentally while I've been inside towns. Uh, like last summer, uh, I snapped a um, serpentine belt, and that happened right about a block away from a, a mechanics place. And so obviously, Charlie's still going. That was one of the questions I had for you. He's still going. Yeah, that Jeep is going to go until it can't go anymore. I gotta believe you're you're not going for a new vehicle until it's it's just it won't go anymore. Is that true? Yeah, every summer where I think, oh man, Charlie is gonna, oh it's getting so old. I, he's got to die sometime soon. But nope, every summer I'm I'm graciously surprised that um, it's got keeps having it's got more in him. I think we're gonna reach probably five hundred thousand miles. You need to reach out to Jeep and do a commercial for them, <laughs> without a yeah. doubt. Does that mean, would you get another Jeep, or you just don't even want to think about it? Uh, well, I don't want to think about it, but also I don't want to think about uh, financially what it would take to <laughs> get oh, another vehicle yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. What, yeah. what about the craziest thing that ever happened to you when uh, you and Charlie were traveling along these 350,000 miles of road? Oh, uh, I don't know. You mentioned like one of the most dangerous things. And there's always like, just like when you're you're climbing and you get past a point where you realize that I can't go back the way I came. I can only go forward and just hope for the best. Um, there's, I was just thinking about once. I, I was yesterday. I was or a couple of days ago. I was driving past a White Mountain in California. It's a fourteen thousand foot mountain. It's about seven thousand feet above the valley floor below you. But you can drive like really close to it. You're driving through these bristle, these ancient bristlecone pine forests, and you can park, and then you only have to hike about two thousand feet to get to the top. But uh, to get down, I didn't go the easy way. I was, I saw there was a road called uh, Silver Canyon, which just dropped straight down the side of the mountain, so switchbacks all the way down. And that was a case where you know, <laughs> you start down this rocky rough road and you're but it's steep and it's downhill and you're just hoping like this road better get better because i can't see myself making it back up the top of the mountain and once i got to the bottom i thought it was safe but there was uh it had been a wet year and there were rivers that kind of like or huge streams that kind of like went across this dirt road and I just had to push through it. So just, you know, you speed up really fast and you just shove your way through those, those rivers and you just push the water ahead of you and you just hope your engine doesn't flood before you can reach the other side. And that was one of the most, I guess, craziest things I've done with Charlie because I had to like drive through like two or three streams to get out. I made it out of there. And then when I popped the hood open later just to check on the engine, there was actually this dead decomposing squirrel that washed up and was just laying across the top of the engine. Hey, you cooked it. You, did you yeah. cook it? Yeah, nice. he wasn't, wasn't cooked. Well, if I'd waited longer before I popped the hood up, he would have been cooked. But oh, but he'd already been dead for several days. So oh, it would, okay. not, would not have smelled great. Yeah, wow. Um, 
Yeah. I, th- I thought maybe that you uh, you maybe had dinner. Just, just, just <laughs> boom, right there. You seem pretty resourceful when you travel. I I I, I try to be. I try to work with your environment. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a destination that? Uh, well, first of all, let me ask this question. I mean, a lot of the areas that you write about are they even reachable with with a, a two wheel drive? I'd say I'd say a lot of them. A lot of them are definitely maybe. I don't know, maybe fifty percent, perhaps. Okay, that's pretty it, good. It, it depends on how much you really want to beat up your vehicle. Uh, yes, exactly. That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. I imagine most of the people they're gonna, you know, most people would not care that much. They're out there for the adventure. Which brings me to another question: What was the ultimate destination that you took, uh, Charlie? Like ultimate, maybe four by four backcountry destination. And you don't have to give me a specific area because you probably don't want to give it up. But uh, maybe general area. Okay. I mean, yeah. Give me a minute you, to think about that. Well, and you're pretty generous. I mean, you've actually written a, a couple books, I guess, like little short books that, you know, you offer up some suggestions on where people should go. So I won't make you give away your ultimate favorite, but if you could sort of zero in on a, a rough area, that would work. I don't know. There's I, there's definitely a few that come to mind, but I don't know if I can describe them in, in a way that's uh, uh, you could really appreciate without photos, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I can fit verbally. Hey, which, by the way, you have some great pictures. I was looking through some of your photos. Do you, do you want to do you want to do you want to transition into your books? Because um, yeah, if, did I count right when I said you've got five total books right now, including your latest, which is Falling off the map? I'd say I have four books out there. I've got three off the map in the off the map series. There's the Renegade Car Camping book, and there's the one that's called uh, 10 Renegade Camping Destinations. That's it's more of a, a pamphlet, a, like a glorified appendix, basically. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that as a book. Wait, now which one was the most fun to write? Probably the, the latest, the Falling Off the Map book, I, okay. I guess. And, and why, why do you say that? Uh, well, it's in these later stories, I gave myself a bit more space to sort of tell the story as I learned not to sort of, I think, you know, I guess take my time, which means there, each chapter is a little bit longer, but um, there's a, I think it's just a fun mix of adventures in there. Um, because I was spending a little bit more of my summers kind of closer to home, um, whenever I went out to the Rockies or to the Sierras, I think I might have taken, I don't know, maybe a few bigger risks while I was out there, perhaps to sort of, I don't know, balance out my adrenaline needs. Um, so there's just, there's just some fun stuff stuff in there, um, both in terms of just kind of harrowing um, moments, but also just magical experiences. And which one's gotten the most feedback? Uh, out of the books? Yes. Uh well, I, the Renegade Car Camping book maybe gets the most feedback, but that's primarily because it's the most accessible. There's times on Amazon where um, I, I've offered it as a free download, and so it's it's that one book has seen more eyes for sure. And it's also a book where people can go to my website and they can download that book for free as well. So it's seen the more eyes. It's definitely uh, gotten the most feedback on that, and partially because of the feedback of Renegade Car Camping. That's why I did put out the, uh, that sort of additional appendix, uh, 10 Renegade Car Camping campsites, because people read the first book and they're like, 
all right, I want a guide. I want you to tell me where these places are, um, which you both do and you don't want to do. You know, you don't want to share yeah. these beautiful, all these beautiful spots where people can camp for free because those places will just get overrun. Yeah, right. That's yeah. true. By the way, so we're going to do a completely separate podcast on renegade car camping because I personally enjoyed that that book so much. But uh, you already know that. But that's really for the listeners. Um, wait, just so just out of curiosity, what publishing platform do you use? Is it uh, now you you self publish? Am, am I correct about that, or do you? Uh, I do. Yes. Okay. And, and what do you do? To, what do you use to write your eBooks? Um, what do you use to edit and and publish and that sort of thing? It, that'd be interesting to hear. <laughs> Well, I'm going to transition away from this pretty soon, but I've been using Microsoft Word to write my documents. Okay. How, however, then to, to take that and create a format that you can use for both ebooks and use to create like a published uh, paperback copy, there's a lot of formatting um, trial and error to get that to work. So, of course, there's, there's places, um, there's companies on the internet, like there's one called Vellum, which will take your manuscript and create it into an ebook format. Um, which I will probably use in the future, so I don't have to do that work myself. But uh, in order to get it up on Amazon and to other, um, like Kobo or um, yeah, Apple Books, you uh, have to... Uh, I, go through t- I go through two sites. Um, Amazon has a subsidiary, called, a subsidiary called CreateSpace, and they handle the paperbacks. And they also have a subsidiary called uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, and they handle the ebook version. So people can look on Amazon, find my books just like normal, and if they want to get a paperback book, um, because I'm not deal- we're not dealing with a tradi- traditional publisher, they can just order my book, and that very day, the book gets printed either at a facility on the East Coast or on the West Coast, and it gets mailed and it reaches your, uh, it'll reach your uh, house just as quick as a normal book would. Yeah, I've heard about those services. That's, that's phenomenal. I mean, it's great for, for the reader and also for the writer. Uh, who you know basically puts the book out? Um, now, now you do offer because I got a few of them, I believe, for free. Some of your books are free if yep. they sign up for your newsletter. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first book of Outdoor Adventures, it's just called Off the Map. That's uh, free and available on, on my website, which is offthemapbooks.com. And Renegade Car Camping, that's also for free on that website. And, and when they, if they get your newsletter, what do you typically write about in your newsletter? The newsletter is uh, when I write like additional adventure articles, like I will uh, uh, send those off to my newsletter list, or uh, or sometimes I'll do gear reviews. Um, but primarily, I you know I, it's usually if I'm traveling for the summer, I'll try to put uh, updates out of what's what's been going on, what's happened to me, and if people want to find uh, uh, pictures of my travels. Facebook is my Facebook site, which is off the map books. That's also the best place to go to look for those. Gotcha. And are, are there certain travel writers that you enjoy reading when uh, when you're not traveling? <laughs> I I don't tend to read a lot of travel writing. Um, I think uh, the adventure writer John Krakauer is somebody that I admire a whole lot. I mean, that guy can really um, uh, capture you. He's the guy who that wrote like the Into the Wild about the uh, the uh, the guy that uh, um, Chris McCandless. Yes. Yeah. yeah the guy that. Tried to hike to that bus. Oh my God! I could tell uh, you a four-hour story on that one. Oh but, wow! Uh, yes, yes, I I appreciate Cracker on myself. 
yep, he did Into the Wild and about the Everest climb and um, Under the Banner of Heaven and a few other books. Uh, amazing writer. Yeah. Absolutely. So we will wrap this podcast up with uh, some best and worst questions from your travels. Are you ready? Okay. Here we go. The um, longest amount of time you ever went without a shower. I, I'd say probably, uh, I think in one of the books maybe I mentioned it was about four weeks or so. Uh, uh, my, my personal is 10 days, so you've got me beat, uh, <laughs> you got me beat pretty significantly there. Any strategies for when you're uh, car camping, car traveling, for scoring some free showers? Oh, uh, well, I scored free showers. Well, I, you know, the four weeks is misleading because I do, like, I have... Um, like a seven gallon water container. So I will like take a washcloth and kind of every, every night before going to the bed, you know, rip, just wipe myself down, <laughs> get the day's dirt off for sure. But, um, but also, you know, hot springs are the, are a great way to, to, to also get clean, <laughs> clean as well. I don't know if that sounds gross or not, but, uh, we, we keep uh, coming back to hot springs. I'm thinking that that's yeah. a go-to strategy for you on your, uh, renegade car camping. Yeah, then there's, there's one hot spring in Idaho called Goldbug Hot Springs, which has like a hot water shower. There's like a, the, the spring actually comes out of the side of the mountain. So there's several like showers of hot water and several pools you can soak in up there. Um, you know, in all fairness to you, though, I mean, you do you do a fair amount of hiking and backpacking, too. It's not that uh, you're just always staying in the, in the front country. It mm. seems like you do a fair amount of backcountry exploration, true. Is that yeah. true? Right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which which gets to another question. Although you would probably be more likely to see a crazy animal in the front country than the back country. But do you have any good uh, bear or uh, skunk or raccoon or fox or animal stories? Uh yeah. Uh, there's a few bears I've come across for sure. Uh, up in the uh, in Montana, um, in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, I was hiking out to a place called the Chinese Wall, which. Definitely looks similar to the feature. Yeah, very famous too. It's written about a lot in uh, a lot of outdoor magazines. Looks beautiful, by the way. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Uh, the hike is a little bit uh, a little bit tedious because a lot of times you're in the trees and you're hiking on a trail that's been trampled on by many many horses and mules, so it's very dusty. And um, I was very happy in my first night out to. I did a six day journey out there, and the first night I was camping out uh, by a river. And eat some pasta. So, you know, your first night, you want to get rid of that heavy pasta sauce. So I had a nice big pasta dinner. And then um, as I was finishing up, uh, um, you know, by my fire there, this bear comes like um, prancing, you know, or just patting its way along the the stream shore, like coming closer to my direction. And, and, um, you know, I think just very curious about it at first and wondering, all right, how close is it going to go? Is it going to notice me? And I think it noticed me and it was, but it was probably smelling the pasta and and it didn't seem to have a lot of fear, so it's getting closer and closer. And about thirty feet away, I suddenly realized, all right, I better, I better make some noise or something, just so it doesn't um, uh, intrude too much upon my um, my personal bubble. So when I uh, speaking of bubbles, so when I stand up, um, uh, what happened was as I was eating all this pasta, like I was actually swallowing a lot of air into my chest there, and as I stood up. Um, all that air suddenly came out in one big rush. I just let out this tremendous, like, 
this tremendous burp, this huge belch there, and that thing, and the bear heard that, and it just like it's, it went up in its two legs and like whoop, and it turned around and just ran away. <laughs> well, you know they do have a good sense of smell too, so you know you never you never know what the bear smelled from that burp. Yeah. Have you ever had a bear trash uh, trash your jeep before, Charlie? Ah, uh, no. Um, fortunately, no. But you know, bears are the kind of thing that you know we travelers can sort of. I've I've this been once or twice where I've forgotten that I'm in bear country. Like you know, my first cross country trip, you know, reached a spot in. Um, I don't know Ohio, and uh, and left a cooler outside, and the bear open, bear black bear found it, opened it up, munched on a big tub of margarine, and then in the Adirondacks of New York, I was uh, we were camped out at a, a campground, and we were um, it, the campground was technically closed, but we weren't sure why it was closed, and uh, I left my backpack outside the uh, um, outside the tent. And in the morning, the sort of rain started falling on the tents, and um, I realized, oh, I should go out and get my backpack and bring it inside. And then I opened up the tent flap, and the, the backpack wasn't there. And there were some bear tracks. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and, that doesn't and then, sound good. Yeah, and so we finally realized that the, the campground was actually closed because of bear activity. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, also, unfortunately, my contacts, I had put them inside my backpack, Uh before going to bed for the night so it was raining and i couldn't see very well everything was fuzzy and i had to try to find my backpack and the bear had taken it had dragged it and brought it into a swamp so i had to try to follow this bear and its tracks through a swamp to try to retrieve my backpack and get my contacts so i could see again and uh my girlfriend at the time she also was with me as well and we uh, tracked that thing for maybe i feel like a half mile or so and then finally, just it's <clears throat> finally it, the tracks just kind of ended. I couldn't figure out where it went, and I thought that was that. And so I told my girlfriend, "All right, hey, if, if you can find my backpack, I will buy you a brand new backpack." Because she had, you know, she had borrowed a friend's backpack for this trip. So my girlfriend got like this very concentrated look on her face, and like I think some something like this internal compass started like like calibrating inside of her, and she's she just turned. A, a, she's on a mission. I know. She just turned in one direction and just walked straight like out of the swamp and like into a forest, and she found the backpack, and it had some great tooth marks in it. But uh, but she found it. Oh, that, so that I, just that just gives the backpack character. That's exactly what you're <laughs> looking for. Awesome. I know. Totally. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So hey, another question I had for you, too, is, um, I mean, in all your travels, right, you've got the beautiful campsites, but I'm sure you've come across the uh, crap, I got to stay here. You know, it's late. I, I just got to deal with it. You yeah. got uh, those. I'm sure those are not the sites that you mind giving away. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. The The worst campsites tend to also, <laughs> for me, they tend to also be the best campsites because they are the... I go to the campsites that are on a ridge top. There's like no protection at all, but the views are incredible. And so um, I'll camp up there and hope for the best. And then, I'll, but you know, the, the winds will change and the storms will come through. And then your best campsite becomes the worst because the, you've got like 50 mile per hour winds. You're just like hitting the side, you're slamming into the side of your tent and you're trying to sleep, but the ceiling of your tent is just banging against your head the entire night. So, uh, it, my, uh, so, my, 
So, I mean, so weather obviously plays into that. I mean, do you, oh, yeah. you, you probably have some weather moments that, I mean, you, that you were terrified. Do you have one that sticks out? Ooh, well, there was a time, uh, <laughs> a time up in uh, Colorado in Rocky Mountain National Park where a friend of mine, were, uh, we were trying to reach, um, we had hiked up seven different peaks. Because that national park is great. You can hike 2,000 feet up to a peak and then you, there's, these ridge lines just have these short dips. So you can like nick off about seven peaks in a row before you have to come down. And we had reached the, the seventh peak, and we were eyeballing the like this mountain called Lead Mountain. And it's thinking, of, did we have enough time in the day to, to reach it? Because you know we were also worried about the storm clouds to the west that were coming closer and closer. And as we were standing on this mountaintop, just considering, we started to hear this crackling sound, and we weren't sure where it was coming from. And so, like our eyes, like slowly turned, and our ears just solely focused on the top of my friend's hiking pole. And we just bent our ears to the top of the hiking pole just closer and just listened, and the crackling was coming from his hiking pole. Wow. <laughs> was, your, was your hair standing up? Like, you know, was it clear lightning was coming? <laughs> well, I have curly hair, so it doesn't stand up as well as a, as a, as a straight hair does. But when we, once we heard that, we just, like, looked each other in, <laughs> in the eye, and our eyes just grew wide, and we just said, run! And we just ran directly down the whole side of the mountain and just heard like these lightning bolts crashing behind us uh, up the, up at the mountain peak uh, wow. behind us. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's exciting. Well, let, let's end on a happy note here before we transition into the next podcast. And that is you're on these ridgetops. Yeah. Um, I've seen your pictures. You've got some phenomenal f- f- photos of uh, these backcountry camping spots uh, is there a sunset that sticks out in your mind more than any other there's one smoky sunset in a glacier national park where the sky just grew orange and uh it was brilliant it was the one thing that kind of made up for hiking in a national park or backpacking for five days while your like your days are t- entirely filled with smoke that's the thing that uh um compensates somewhat for uh, uh for those like days of breathing in soot and um but uh i guess most recently i'm 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 i love sunrises too and at burning man we'll just bring around to burning man again um, oh yeah that's got to be phenomenal in the desert right where you have um you know more of a horizon where you can see it come up too right yeah and you've got this ambient dust because you're everything happens in that flat clay uh like uh subsurface and so there's all this dust being kicked up by people's feet and by bicycles and by art vehicles. So when sunrise come, sunrise comes, the the clouds aren't usually that great, but uh, you can see that like people in the distance in front of the sun, their silhouettes are backlit. So you can get these amazing pictures of people's just a silhouette of people's, and for some reason, like you can really capture like the relationships between people, like their friendships, their connections, and uh, their excitement, and sometimes their uh, depression. You, with, uh, with a camera and sunrise and ambient dust and silhouettes, um, you can get some, capture just some amazing moments. It's uh, almost kind of like peering into, the, uh, pe- peering into other people's experiences out there. Yeah, so Brian, perfectly, we have come full circle. We're back to Burning Man, which is, yeah. this is a great way to end the podcast. Um, 
I'm, I can't wait to talk specifically with you about uh, the Renegade Car Camping because I love that book. I wanted to dedicate a podcast to that. Um, so, well, Brian, really great to have you on the show. I really enjoyed your books. Um, do you want to tell the listeners how that they can uh, learn more about you and your travels and your books? Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's been my pleasure. So uh, people can find me on Facebook is a great, easy way to, to find me and ask me questions. If any questions about Renegade Car Camping or about hikes or travels. So uh, just look up uh, Off the Map Books on Facebook. Instagram, it's also Off the Map Books. And uh, my website is offthemapbooks.com. And the website itself is where people can uh, download my books for free and find out uh, uh, my latest journal entries and find out uh, which, what my latest books are. Great. Well, that sounds good. Well, I look forward to talking to you in more detail about my favorite book that you wrote, Renegade Car Camping. And um, listeners, give us a few weeks and we'll have that podcast up as well. So, Brian, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Safe travels. Thank you for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from N2Backpacking.com. Just click the Podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show is provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2Backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.